Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Philip Beatty from Hartford City Church. Welcome you again to our uh, daily devotional Daniel Fast podcast. And today we want to continue to look at the story of Moses and the time that Moses was with the people of God, the Israelites, at Mount Sinai when God gave them the law, the Torah, one of the most significant events in human history. Certainly a very, very significant story for the Jewish people and for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ as well. Uh, So today I want to continue to look at this encounter between God and Moses uh, that we've been looking at for a couple of days. And we're going to be in Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 1, where the Lord needs to give Moses new stone tablets, new tablets that contain the Ten Commandments and the law, because Moses broke the first two. And of course, that happened when he came down the mountain and saw the people worshiping the golden calf. And for that story, for that backstory, you need to go back and uh, listen to my sermon, Unvisible Transformation, from this past Sunday. Uh, You can also go to Exodus chapter 32 and read that story. So you're going to need that background before you jump into this. So if you need to pause the podcast and go back and catch up a little bit, go ahead and do that. Okay, if everybody's caught up with the backstory from Exodus 32, let's jump right into Exodus 34 and let's listen to the word of the Lord and meditate on what we can learn from it today. Uh, This is the story of the new stone tablets being given to Moses and we're going to begin in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 1. The Lord, that is Yahweh, said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So God wants to clear everything out, all the people, all the animals, Uh, He is going to have an encounter with Moses where he gives him the law, the covenant, the relationship agreement again. And so again, this is an example of an encounter between the presence of the almighty living God, Yahweh, and his servant Moses. So we pick up the story again in verse 4. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hand. Then the Lord, Yahweh, came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. So the Lord reveals himself and reveals certain things about himself that are very important if we want to understand who God is and what God is like. And they're given in a certain order And they're said in a certain way for very particular reasons. So we're going to examine and meditate and look at each of those today for a few minutes together. So the first thing we see is the Lord or God proclaiming his name, which is Yahweh. 
Whenever you see the word Lord, L-O-R-D, all capitalized in your English translations of the Hebrew scriptures, know that it is referring to the name Yahweh. Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-E-H, was the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush uh, when he called Moses to go back and set the people free from their slavery in Egypt. And Yahweh is best translated as I am. So God is saying, my particular name is simply I am. The, the, I am who I am. The very presence, essence of life is God himself. And Yahweh was a sacred name that the Hebrews uh, would not even pronounce. It was often spelled Y-H-W-H. Um, the English translates it as the Lord with all capitals. Uh, but it is a unique name of God, the unique God that the Israelites worshipped among all of the other gods or so-called gods that were worshipped in ancient times. So we see that this is the one true living God, the maker of heaven and earth. And the Lord says that I am Yahweh. And the first two things that he says about himself are that God is compassionate and gracious. That's very important for us to know. That of all of the things that God could say about himself, he begins by saying, I am compassionate, meaning that God does care, that God is concerned with the people that he has made, that he sees us not just as robots or toys that he has created, but he sees us as children, as daughters and sons that he has created so that we can be in relationship with him and be part of his family. He cares about what happens to us. He is concerned about us. He feels for us. He Compassion means that he enters into our feelings and our suffering and our pain and that he loves us and that he wants the best for us. To say that God is gracious is to say that he is willing to forgive, uh, that he wants to give us things that we don't even deserve. That's what grace is, getting something we don't even deserve, but it's out of the incredible goodness of God's heart. God also says that he is slow to anger. We need to understand that, that God is not snapping at us or just looking for an opportunity to to get after us when we mess up, but that he is slow to anger, meaning that, that a lot of times that we continue and continue and continue in sin or some type of pattern of life that is against God. And we don't always get punished right away. We don't always get stomped on by God. God is very slow to anger, meaning that he can take a lot. He is very, very patient with us. Then he goes on to say that he is abounding in love and faithfulness. Like there's more love in God than than we can imagine. There's more love than we can comprehend. Uh, That God is faithful. That means he doesn't give up on us. That God continues to to be in relationship with us, continues to be there with us, continues to be there for us. And then he goes on to say that he maintains his love to thousands, which uh, probably literally means to thousands of generations. And that's important as, as we continue on in this passage. And that God forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So we need to know, first of all, that God cares about us, that he is overflowing with grace and love and faithfulness and forgiveness. And of course, that's good news because we know that when we mess up, we need to be forgiven. We often come to that point where we realize that because of our actions or perhaps the actions of others or some combination, 
that we need forgiveness. We need to forgive ourselves. We need to forgive others. We need ourselves to be forgiven by God because we have participated in things that are wrong and wickedness. We have rebelled against God. We have chosen to do things against what he has said. Uh, We have chosen to not follow God. We have chosen to rebel against him. We've chosen to sin. Yes, the Bible says each and every one of us have sinned. And when we sin, what does the Bible say? We fall short of the glory of God. The exact thing we've been talking about. The glory of God, the presence of God. We, we can't experience that presence uh, because of sin, because of wickedness, because of rebellion. And yet God wants to forgive us of that so that we can experience his presence once again. All of those things are first and foremost. Always remember that. That God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands of generations, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That is first and foremost. And you have to get first things first if you want to understand God. So the next part says, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So that's the part that is difficult for us to understand. That's the part that trips us up. But we'll never understand that part if we don't put God's love and faithfulness first. So what is God saying here? That he punishes people for their sins, but he also punishes the children of the people who sinned and even the grandchildren of the people that have sinned for maybe three or four generations. Now, that sounds strange to our modern ears, doesn't it? Why would God punish people for something that their ancestors did, for something their grandparents did? Or why would God punish someone for something that their, that their parents did? Well, maybe we need to understand punishment in a little different way. Again, if we can establish that God is not mean because of all the things he said about himself, if we can believe and trust that everything God does is because he loves us, then maybe we need to trust the process as well. Amen. Maybe we have a hard time with punishment because we don't trust the process of punishment and what it can do in our lives and really in the lives of our family. What do I mean by that? Well, if I'm going to start with the fact that God is loving and then I'm going to move on to the fact that he does punish sin because there are consequences to sin, then I must trust that what God is doing is ultimately for the best in my life and the life of my family. Think about it like this. Uh, Punishment and pain is a consequence of doing something wrong. And a consequence is there to teach us not to do something wrong because if we continue to do something wrong, it will only hurt us or destroy us and it will hurt the ones we love and or destroy the ones we love. So let's start with a basic everyday example. We know that when a stove is hot or when the fire is hot, that we shouldn't touch it because it will burn us, right? So if I put my hand on a hot stove, it hurts. And I say, ouch, and I pull my hand back immediately. And I don't continue to put my hand on that stove because of the natural consequence of pain. That consequence teaches me not to touch the stove. Now imagine for a minute that that consequence or that punishment wasn't there. Well, if I put my hand on the stove and it burned and it didn't hurt me, then I might leave my hand there. And if I left my hand there because there was no pain, there was no punishment, there was no consequence, then my hand would eventually burn and eventually my hand would burn so bad that I would lose the use of my hand and I would be left with only one hand for the rest of my life. 
perhaps then I would put my second hand on the stove and I could burn and lose that hand as well. And pretty soon I'm living a life with no hands. And so we see in that example that the pain or the quote unquote punishment, what I call the consequence of sin is there to teach us. It's actually a grace. It's actually something that's good, even though it's painful, because what it does is it spares me from destroying myself. And that's so important that we could, in our sin and rebellion and wickedness, end up destroying ourselves. And this passage reminds us it's not just us that gets affected, but our children. You know, when we sin, it affects our whole family. And even perhaps our children's children. Because that the patterns of life that we live uh, get seen and can sometimes get passed on to other generations uh, so that if I do things that really mess up my life, like for instance, say I'm doing something uh, with my finances that's really negligent and irresponsible. You know, I'm not only going to hurt myself, I'm going to hurt my family because I'm not going to have money to provide for them. Uh, maybe because of that, they're going to be in a situation where where they struggle, where their development isn't what it should be. And so they as parents then turn around and, and cause you know pain and hurt in the lives of their children. So you can see that God is simply describing something that happens uh, because of the consequences of sin. So when God says he punishes the guilty and he punishes their children and their children's children, he's saying, listen, I'm going to give you consequences for your sin that are painful because I want to protect you. I want you to stop doing that. And God is acknowledging that sometimes it may take a little while for God to deal with some of the sin and wickedness. It may take a couple of generations, even three or four. But again, let's go back to that little phrase just before it that he maintains his love to thousands of generations. So again, looking at things from God's eternal perspective, what he has to do with us in our generation, and maybe the next, and maybe for three or four generations, there's something that God needs to deal with. And maybe he needs to deal with it in a pretty hard way, depending on the severity of the sin that we are engaged in. But set that in the context that he maintains his love to thousands of generations. Hallelujah. Whatever God has to do for just a couple of generations, know that it's always set in his plan to love excuse me, thousands of generations. So we need to understand that there is consequences for our sin, for our wickedness, for our rebellion. That sin, that consequence, excuse me, for that sin is God's punishment. And God punishes because he loves us. He punishes because he doesn't want us to continue destructive patterns and habits in our life. We have to understand that everything God does, even his discipline, is because of his great, great love for us. So take some time today, reflect upon God's love, his graciousness, his forgiveness, but also reflect upon the fact that maybe we're experiencing some difficulty and pain in our life that is the consequence of some sin. It might even be that we're experiencing some pain and suffering because of what our parents did or our grandparents did. 
But the way that we deal with it is to turn to the Lord, trusting in his graciousness, his goodness, his love, his forgiveness, his faithfulness. And when we take it to the Lord, we find that the Lord redeems and restores everything in our life, even what's been happening in our family for a little while. So I just encourage you to take whatever's going on in your heart to the Lord today. Take it to the Lord and trust in the Lord's goodness. May God bless you. Amen.